0: Let's return to the scripture we read in just a moment ago. Dismiss the kids. Thank you. Children, it's time to go learn how to worship. Let's return to John chapter 9. As yes. we continue our journey through the gospel according to John. Isn't it incredible to see our children fulfilling their baptisms. Remember that they're brought here as infants as the Lord commanded. And the sign of the covenant applied to them. I know when I saw my children fulfilling their baptisms. I, I still, um, it's just incredible when you think about that blessing. And to see Ian this morning, as he was once baptized before the people of God as an infant, fulfilling that baptism. So, parents, um, With we children, keep praying and keep at it. It's not something that you do in one day or two days or one week. It's not a truckload at a time. It's minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, that we show them Jesus Christ in our homes, in our lives, in our families. And so I encourage you to to keep keep at it. We celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning or this morning. We come to this table after uh, we look at God's word. If you are visiting us this morning, you need to know this is not a Presbyterian table. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to these elders. It belongs to Jesus Christ. If you know that you're a sinner and your only hope is Jesus Christ and you have confessed him as your Savior, Lord, just as you have sung with us, just as you've prayed with us, you come to this table with us this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ, don't feel like an outsider this morning. Watch and observe and listen. Ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to understand. This is a sacred time for us, and we're glad you're here. In the message this morning, every week, uh, I enjoy preparation and study as much as I do preaching. I couldn't always say that, but I do now. Because I'm learning, I'm, I am I'm see so much that I don't know, even after 50 years. The more I learn, the more I know. The more I know, I don't know. And some great, great scholars have written commentaries and preached on, through the Gospel of John. It's a popular book. And this, this week, I listened, as always, R.C. Sproul has done a study in John, so I listen to his sermons every week. And the that He preaches on the passages where I'll be preaching. Um, Eric Alexander, one of the greatest preachers that the Lord has given us in 20th century, the first part of the 21st century. Uh, he's from Scotland. He has a series in John, and it's, it's delightful to hear him, but I needed to say this this morning. Not only to give you that information, you can go online and listen to it. Uh, but <clears throat> to tell you that this morning, uh, what R.C. said this week, some a great blessing to me. And he gave me the seed of this message. I did not, uh, I didn't, didn't take his message in total, but. Uh, It was such a blessing to me, and he planted some seeds that grew into this message. Before we open God's word this morning, chapter 9, let's pray and ask him to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you, and we must first come in thanksgiving because last week at this time, we had a long list of people who were hurting. And every week at this time, we bow our heads together as a congregation of priests. Jesus called all of us to be priests. And Father, we're weak at that. We forget it. We forget that we're supposed to bring our cares, our concerns, our neighbors, our families, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We forget that we're supposed to bring them before the throne in prayer. That's what priests do. We're trying to learn to be priests at Christ Presbyterian. We pray this morning in thanksgiving for how you answered prayer and how you continued to heal Mr. and Ms. Walker. How you blessed Marjorie through her surgery and brought her through that surgery safely. And how you kept her voice intact. We pray in thanksgiving, Father. I pray for how you bless John Sartell Jr.'s family, as they were so sick last week with COVID. Thank you for bringing healing to their home. We continue to pray for Mr. and Miss Walker, Father. We pray that you will bring a complete healing; that there'll be no complications. We pray that you would bless Justin German's family, bring healing to that home. We pray that, Father, as the pathology comes back on what was removed from Marjorie's thyroid, we pray that it will be good news and that, Father, there will be no cancer there. We pray for Ron Turner's family this morning, Ron and Debbie Turner's family. We pray that, that you would bring healing, uh, that you would literally rid them of this disease as you have, Father, all through this congregation, all through this year. Bless them. I pray for George Bryan, Father. That he would recover from this stroke, that you would bring healing to him, that he would be able to swallow, that his movement would be restored. Father, I also pray for Billy Dunham and his family. We pray for Tommy. We pray for the children, that you will use this time to draw them to yourself, bring comfort, bring peace. And now we open your word, Father. John Sartell can't teach, so it won't make any difference in our lives. But we've heard you teach, Father, in the power of your spirit. We know your voice, and we pray that we will hear it again this this morning in our lives. Father, change us, maybe some of us for the first time. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why this malady for so long? Lord? Why this malady for so long? Jesus is in Jerusalem for the great harvest feast of tabernacles. He entered the city there in John chapter 7, and we saw over the last few weeks the great claims that he made to be the light of the world. To be the God from eternity and we saw the great debate that took place between Jesus and the Pharisees all through chapter 8. The confrontation with the Pharisees continues right in to chapter 9. We'll see more of it next week. The story in chapter 9 begins when Jesus with his disciples encounter a blind man begging. He was probably at the temple area for that's where the great crowds of the Feast of Tabernacles would be. His blindness as we read through the chapter we come to understand that his blindness had made him dependent on the generation or the, on the generosity of others. We simply read that he was a beggar. <clears throat> The disciples see this, and the first thing I want is we want to stop right here and notice what they say. The disciples proceed to make an unbiblical assumption. Look at verse one. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Now, we've all done this. Every one of us in this room. It's been in our DNA for thousands of years. We've assumed that some terrible, terrible, awful predicament in someone's life was a result of their transgressions. We've all done that. Remember when the calamity descended upon Job's house? Job lost his wealth. Job lost his children. They were killed. And then he lost his health. And three friends, remember, showed up to counsel him. All right, Job, things like this just don't happen to good people. So what sin did you commit to bring about this judgment on you? Don't you just love friends that way? When you're being put through the ringer. I wrote that phrase this week. And I said, you know, about half of the congregation, maybe three-fourths of the congregation, does not know where that phrase came from. What do you mean run through the ringer? People that are as old as I am could stand up in this congregation and tell you. Back in the 30s and 40s, that's in 1930s, 1940s, early 50s, the washing machine that very often set out on the porch had a ringer attached to it. Not a phone ringer, R-I-N-G-E-R, but a W-R-I-N-G-E-R and it was two rollers that were hooked together mechanically operated the clothes when they came out of the washer didn't have a spin didn't have a spin cycle they didn't spin and the clothes soaked with water were taken out of the tub and they were fed into that wringer and that wringer just squeezed the water out of it and so the saying happened You feel like you've been run through a ringer? A man actually said that to me this morning coming into church. I said, you're going to like this message. (laughs) So when you are in a hard place of saying, you feel like you've been run through a ringer? You're being squeezed by unpleasant events. We discover in the book of Job That those bad events in Job's life were not, it's the point of the book, they were not a result of his sins. The book begins with God telling Satan how good Job was. But we can't condemn the disciples because sometimes our troubles are directly related to our sins. When David and Bathsheba committed adultery. Remember, she became pregnant. David continued to conspire in his sin. And her husband was killed in a battle because of of a command that David had given. David married Bathsheba and thought all was well, but all was not well. Because God knew. And God came to David. And what was the judgment? What was the pain? What was the awful pain he was put through? What happened to the child that was born? God took that child's life. Just crushed David. That hard time was a result of his sin. Remember Jonah? How did Jonah end up in the stomach of that great fish? He was running in the opposite direction. God said, go to Nineveh and preach. And no way I'm going to Jonah, uh, going to Nineveh and preach. He went the opposite direction. He ended up in a belly of a fish in the Mediterranean. We're warned in Scripture that our Father will hold us accountable for our sins. Oh, yes, they're forgiven in Christ, but he'll still discipline us. Look on your Scripture sheet at Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. And then verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So we can end up Indeed, we can end up in some very, very bad places, bad conditions because of our sin. But in this case, the man blind from birth, this awful physical malady was not a result of his sin or his parents' sin. So we see the disciples proceed to make an unbiblical assumption. But secondly, I want you to see Jesus shocking astounding answer for the reason for this man's malady. What is the reason he's suffering from this malady? Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, so often when we see suffering like that, we're apt to say, well, we live in a fallen world. I say that at least once or twice a week, every week. We live in a fallen world of weeds, of illness, of pain, of violent storms. COVID. So this this man would not have been born blind in a perfect world. But Jesus did not go there in his answer. He did not shrug and say, hey, guys. We live in a fallen world. That's why this guy's blind. Jesus says God had a purpose in this man's blindness. This man was born blind. Why? Look at it. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, immediately, we jump ahead in our reasoning, knowing that Jesus will heal this man. So we think, He was blind so the wonderful works of Jesus could be seen in him. Now, that's true. But it is much, much deeper than that, folks. Jesus didn't show up in this man's life until he was an adult. All those years of blindness, poverty. We read that he had become a beggar. All those years as a child not being able to see his parents' faces, to see colors, all those years of dependency while he waited for Jesus to come and heal him? No. Jesus is saying this blindness has been given him that he might show the works of God in his life. Even before Jesus comes on the scene. Even before he's healed. You know, sometimes Jesus does not show up to heal. Not in that way. What's the purpose then? That The works of God might be seen in him. Now, Jesus would be, in this case, the ultimate blessing and the ultimate work of God. But the work of God was evident in that man's life. Long before then. You want proof of this? Go back to Job. He lost his wealth. He lost his children. He lost his health. He had been wealthy. He had a strong family. He was a picture of health. And what did Satan say? Satan came to God. And he says, God, Job only speaks well of you. Because you're so good to him. You've given him his wealth. You've given him his family. You've given him his health. God, you let me take away his wealth. Let me take away his children. Let me take away his health. And he will curse your face, God. And God allowed Satan to do that. What was Job's response when his wealth and children were removed. Think about this. He was bankrupt. Penniless. His children had all been killed. By an enemy. What did Job do? Look at Job 1, 20 and 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. you believe that? And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What was Job doing? Job was showing the work of God in his life when it was the darkest, most miserable time of his life. And it was of great consternation to save. Satan didn't get the result he wanted. And so on came the boils, huge boils all over Job. He was just a corpse, almost. What was the response when his health was removed? Look at Job 2, nine. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Terry, I'm thankful you're not like that. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive hard times? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. There's the work of God in Job's life. Job did not know what the purposes of God were. He did not know. He did not know why this befell him. But he had determined ahead of time this one thing. I will be faithful. That's what Jesus meant when he said that God's purposes, that God's purpose was for the man to show forth, this blind man to show forth the work of God in his life. The Bible teaches us that our faithfulness in the dark places, it shows forth the work of Christ in our lives. The Last time that we were in a hard place, a miserable place, a dark, dark, miserable place. Did our lives show forth? I had to ask myself this question all week long. Did my life show forth? The work of God in my life. Listen to a hymn that was sung back in the prophet Habakkuk's day. This is a hymn that was sung. Some of you know this verse. You probably didn't know it was a hymn. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Listen to this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. And here's something. If you have your Bibles with you, you can look it up or you can look down and see it. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can see it when you get home. Look it up. It says, to the choirmaster master with stringed instruments. These words are to be sung and sung with stringed instruments. Israel sang that hymn. That's a hard, hard, dark place he's describing. He says, "I'll oh, rejoice in the Lord. That's the work of God. In our lives. It was the work of God in Israel's life. This man was not blind so he could sit and wait for decades on Jesus. He was to be showing the work of God in his life. And you know what he did? And you say, well, it doesn't say that. Yes, it does. We read that his parents were faithful members of the synagogue. So this man had been raised in the synagogue and and taught the scriptures from infancy. He himself was a faithful minister. We will read in verse 34 next week that the Pharisees came to him and because he was believing Jesus as Messiah, the Pharisees threw him out of the synagogue for him to be thrown out. He had to be a member. And so through all this blindness, all this begging, all this misery, he was showing the work of God in his life. This is not easy, folks. It's hard. This week I came across an article on a website of a well-known church in the PCA. That's our denomination. This article was titled, Happy Clappy Christianity Cannot Deal with Prolonged Suffering. Let me read it again. Happy Clappy Christianity Cannot Deal with Prolonged Suffering. It's tough. And happy clapping Christianity doesn't talk about toughness. A husband in that article was writing of the severe pain with which his wife had suffered for 30 years. It was a life-altering pain, daily pain. It was something rare, and medicine did not have an answer. This couple did not know the whys. It just dominated their lives. But here's their testimony. We're going to be faithful to each other. And we're going to be faithful to God. Faithful to Christ through all this suffering. They have both concluded that they probably will not see the reason for the suffering this side of glory. They won't know till they get home. But they've remained faithful lovers of God. They cling to Romans 8.18. Look at it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. They cling to Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Her husband writes in the last sentence of the article speaking about the understanding, the reason. For this suffering when they get home to glory. They don't know now, but he believes they'll know when they get home to glory. He says this, and our faith is that her suffering will not have been meaningless, but we will then see the currently invisible purpose and the fruit borne by her faithfulness. I want to write that couple and say, hey, it's already bearing fruit. It's already a testimony. It was a testimony to Christ Presbyterian Church in Fayette County this week. The disciples proceeded to make an unbiblical assumption. Jesus' shocking answer for the reason for this man's malady. Thirdly, finally, Jesus gives this man an opportunity to express his faith. Having said these things, verse six, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, "Go wash in the pool of Siloam," which meant "sent." So he went and washed, and came back saying, I "Love this." After this theological discussion, the disciples say, "All right, why did this man? Why, with what, you know, what sin did he commit? He didn't commit a sin." And then Jesus comments about it. But then he says, and this is delightful, then he says, all right, let's do what I always do. Let's push back the darkness. This was different. Usually when he met a blind man, he just spoke. We've seen it over and over again. Well, if he was gone, he didn't pray for people to be healed. He just commanded and they were healed because of deity. That's who he was. It was proof of his deity. But this time he didn't speak. He didn't tell the man to immediately see. He took some clay and dirt. Spit in it. Made some mud. Some clay mud. Put on the man's eyes. Now there were no healing powers in that clay. There was no healing power in the pool of Siloam In the water there at Salome. Yet Jesus said... Go wash the clay off your eyes at the pool of Siloam. He was giving the man another opportunity to express his faith. The man had been expressing his faith all his life. This was another opportunity. Now, he had never heard of such a thing. A man, he would see, somebody saw him, he's walking down the street, and he has clay on his eyes. They say, Benjamin, what are you doing? Probably somebody leading him. He says, some man put clay on my eyes. Told me to go wash in the pool of salon. Wash it off. And I would be able to say. The person says, yeah, right. No, he's back there. Go ask him. It's what he said to do. You see, he could have said what so many do when Jesus tells them to come to the cross and confess their sins and they'll be saved. The world says, yeah, right, and walks off. You really believe that? You really believe anything so absurd? It's a, a Jewish rabbi dying on a cross that's going to save us. But for some reason, he expressed his faith in Jesus. And he went to the pool and he washed away the clay and received his sight. Now, the evidence in this passage we've already seen is that the man and his family were faithful members of the synagogue or church members. In spite of his blindness, in spite of his poverty, in spite of the humiliation of being a charity case, every day went out to beg. Think about that. He kept the faith. and Now he followed the directions of this strange man who put clay on his eyes. Now, let's cut to the chase. We're at the end. The question before the house this morning, the question of the first 12 verses, in dark times, in the painful times, in times of excruciating hardship, will you obey the Lord? Will you obey his word? You don't see any possible reason for your troubles. All you know is that it has come to you in the providence of God. We all get there. I don't have to pick out a special family. Every single one of us, all of our families will get there sooner or later. I don't think I've ever known a family, known an individual who didn't get there. In the arena of hardship. Now, it, this, is not, this is not talking about suffering persecution from the world for your faith. That's not what this is. When you are socially ostracized and made out to be a fool for Jesus that's not the hardship described here the man's not suffering because the world was persecuting him for his faith it was a suffering brought to him in the providence of god he has no clue for the reason but he trusted god all of those years he did not commit suicide The work he went out to every day was humiliating. But he kept going. He was still faithful. And when Jesus told him to do something that served, he did it. And his life is still declared the word and works of God in the world. He had no idea that 2,000 years later in Fayette County, Tennessee, at 500 Tigstore Road, we will be talking about him. And learning from him. So I ask you, this morning, do you really believe Romans 8, 18? Do you, you know, deal with it right now. Do you really believe it? Can you say in the middle of the darkest misery you've ever known, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the coming glory that will be revealed in us. You really believe that? Do you? If it does, if you believe that, it changes everything. You really believe Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, it's not for everyone, for those who love God, God, all things will work together for good. You may not be able doesn't promise you that you'll see what those are. See, we so often, we go around and say, unless I can see it, I'm not going to believe it. That's not what it says here. It does not say all things will work together for good for those that love God. And they'll be able to see it. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't even promise we'll see it when we get home. You really believe that? If you do, it changes everything. Let me ask you. Would you be rather be the wealthy Pharisees in this passage? Or would you rather be the blind beggar? Which one? And all their wealth. And they were Pharisees were wealthy. In all their religiosity, in all their wealth, in all their religion, they neither glorified God nor made his works known. They were known as the most successful people in Israel. So would you rather be the Pharisees or the blind beggar? Today we're still talking about the blind beggar's faith and his encounter with Jesus. And when you get home, you'll be able to ask him, was it worth it? And he's going to say, you got to be kidding. How did you get in? Amen. We're going to sing a hymn like that hymn in the back of, at the end of the worship.